0: Which is kind of nuts, right? Like if you think about how we, at least in evangelical circles, we talk about a relationship with God, and yet in practice we make it more about a philosophy of life, these principles and these rules that we follow. But the relationship—if it's a relationship—and this is Dallas Willard speaking, right? If it's a relationship, shouldn't there be two-way communication?
1: Because
0: we would never settle for a relationship that's just one way.
1: And I'm on a roll. Yeah. time for Apollos Watered, a podcast to saturate your faith with the things of God so that you might saturate your world with the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Travis Michael Fleming, and I am your host. And today in our show, we're having another one of our Deep Conversations, a deep conversation with my friend James Chong. Here's the question. What happened to Revival? I'm not talking about setting up tents or calling everything that we do a revival. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying, what happened to Holy Spirit rot, life-changing, Bible-soaking, prayer-saturated revival, the kind that's really initiated by God, where he turns his people back to himself and they hunger and long for the things of God again. I hear a lot of stuff on social media today. I've seen podcasts. I've heard interviews. I hear people talking about almost everything. You can be talking about social justice issues or deconstruction or whatever you want to fill in the the blanket on. I mean, fill in the blank and you're going to be talking about it. But who is really talking about and yearning? for revival? That's my question. Because really at the end of the day, we, after all, we, we have all these discussions and I hope that some of these can make some headway as people learn to communicate together, but it's God that's really going to have to be the one that transforms our hearts and our minds. And yes, we should understand the times to know what we should do. But the last time I checked, when I've gone to the word of God No, nothing really happens in a society or in the people of God, without the spirit of God interceding and touching lives of people. And that's why I wanted to talk to James Chung. Reverend Dr. James Chong serves as vice president of strategy and innovation, overseeing evangelism, discipleship, planting, growth, missions, multi-ethnic initiatives, and the creative labs. This is all from his website. And he does all this at InterVarsity Christian Fellowship USA. He is ordained with the Vineyard USA and has written three books. The latest being Longing for Revival with Ryan Pfeiffer, and we're going to be talking about that a bit today. He speaks frequently and consults at campuses, churches, seminaries, and conferences, and most recently taught a doctoral course on evangelism at Fuller Theological Seminary. He's thankful that his work has been featured in Christianity Today, Leadership Journal, Outreach Magazine, Seminary Now, and ExploreGod.com. He wrote his D.Min dissertation on postmodern leadership development also at Fuller, received his MDiv from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, my alma mater, and studied management science and marketing at MIT. He has served previously on the pastoral staff of a Boston-area urban church plant or and of a megachurch in Seoul and led an L.A. adjacent house church. As for interest, he's led worship at various national conferences, including the Urbana Student Missions Conference and serves on boards for higher education and overseas for-profit and non-profit startups. For fun, he likes to travel with his wife, laugh with his two sons, spoil his daughter, bask in Los Angeles' endless summer, and swing a racket in hopes of playing something like tennis. We talk about his book, Longing for Revival. Is revival possible in our time? What does it look like? What can we do? Anything? Listen in to find out. Happy listening. James Chung, welcome to Apollo's Watered. Uh, thanks. thanks. Are you ready me. for the Fast Five?
0: Uh, maybe.
1: <laughs> Give it to me. Okay, here we go. We got to get the fast five started. And the first question is, we're going to just start off really basic. Okay, here we go. iPhone or Android? Real basic. Oh, easy. iPhone. iPhone, easy. easy. That's an easy Easy. one for you. Good. Why? Tell me why. Tell me why. why. I'm
0: I'm kind of an Apple fan over here. Uh, There was a time when I used to joke about like, I'm going to advance this for two things, Jesus and Apple. (laughs) So uh, I do like it a lot. So we're deep in the whole family. There's nothing PC or Android in this house. <laughs> not allowed. It's like not allowed.
1: Even not even Just, dating. Not even dating.
0: No, no. Once you know, once you know, you gotta say no to everything else,
1: Travis. Once you go Mac, you never go back. Is that it?
0: Because <laughs> that's how it is.
1: <laughs> is, that, is that how it is? <laughs> is it right, gonna go back? You know, go back. Okay. Now you have lived. You're out in California. You've been in Boston. So here we go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Boston, Southern California. Oh, that's brutal.
0: That's brutal. Oh man. But Boston folks, forgive me. I do have to say Southern California, Southern California is, is, it's, it's pretty nice over here. It's pretty nice.
1: I don't even know why that's a contest. I've been in California in the winter. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in Boston in the winter. Sure. This is not a contest. Well, you know, growing up in Boston, I spent my
0: twenties in the, in the Boston area. So like teens, late teens, twenties, man, yeah. that's a great place to do that. Right. It so, is. And fond memories, like, my best friends come from that time you know that's it's a pretty pretty powerful time for me but yeah yeah if you're just going climate or just sheer comfort (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) it's hard to be southern california that's for sure
1: yeah i mean when i was in boston the traffic there made me question my salvation
0: Um, (laughs) oh yeah they don't care about anything out there right like (laughs) lights
1: or the lines on the road none of that matters none of it and the streets don't make any sense they make that's no right. sense. It's like someone took spaghetti, threw it up in the air, and wherever it landed, that's how they drew the, drew the city lines in the streets. Oh, that's right. You know that that whole
0: joke about like when you're asking for directions and people like, "Can't get there from here," right? Like that's a,
1: <laughs> you know, it's crazy. Yeah, there was no city planning at that time. I love the fact that you have the accent. That's the best part of it. <laughs> Cause I, I was at church one Sunday and I had to get the bubbler. I had to go to the bubbler to get the carrot. You know, it's all that stuff from Boston. I had to pick up all that. That's words. right. You're packing your car. It That's right. Stuff. You got to pack your car. Uh, but it was fun. I tried to preach like that once. I don't think it went over very well. Oh, okay, yeah.
0: <laughs> we, Neither of us being Boston natives, yeah. I hope we haven't offended New England people all, uh, all across the board. Now <laughs> we probably they, have. just turned
1: off already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> here, okay. Here we go. Next one. Okay. You yeah, you've tr- you've done your traveling now. Strangest food you have ever eaten?
0: Oh man, that's that. Uh, I. Don't think I'm trying to think of something. Nothing's coming right to mind. Strangest food. It's a great question, and I don't think I've got anything that crazy. Chicken feet. That's pretty normal. Chicken what? Chicken feet. Like Chinese food. When you go to dim sum, you can eat chicken feet. Or uh, man, I'm blanking out. But my um, when I was in Korea, they tried to make me eat dog stew. That was that was almost a thing. But uh, the Korean pastors, they love to watch the Americans like squirm a bit. So I am of Korean descent, but I've never had dogs do boshingtang, And I was like, oh, so almost <laughs> ate that, but didn't they have that?
1: I was with a group of Filipinos in a Filipino Bible study, and they were doing the same thing, trying to get me to eat balut, which is a fried okay. duck egg where the duck's half formed, ah, and it's got the yeah. beak and the feathers. Mm-hmm. And they were all laughing through the entire thing. Yep. And the younger, the younger, the, younger <laughs> Filipinos in the group are like, I'm not touching it. <laughs> yeah, you know. So I get it. Blood get sausage.
0: It. I've had blood sausage. That's a really delicacy. Yes, oh. it's just like intestine that wraps around noodles that are soaked in blood. That's gnarly. <laughs> that is wow. Uh, trying to stifle down the gag reflex was pretty brutal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay here yeah. we go next question okay well, yep. now you said you've grown up you know korean american but you still yep. we all have those cultural experience when we interact with different people different ethnic backgrounds what's your okay. most embarrassing most embarrassing cultural moment that you can share on the air
0: <laughs> most of you know i try to block that stuff out <laughs> <laughs> most embarrassing cultural moment um you know there was one uh so i grew up in in Seattle and uh, from the second grade to the 12th grade went to predominantly black schools. So um, it'd be African-American would be in the majority but the, they would also be pretty multi-ethnic. Okay. Um, and I decided as a transfer into this high school so Garfield High School for those who know Seattle, proud historic black high school like uh, Jimi Hendrix, Quincy Jones, or alumni, wow. okay. also Bruce Lee. Uh, but okay. yeah, you know, it's, it's this very historic kind of high school. And I decided to run for class president and uh, which, you know, I was like, hey, what? I had it kind of backwards. I kind of wanted to try to be popular. So I ran for president. You're supposed to actually do that the other way around. So uh, I ran. And uh, I ran against um, someone who would eventually be my prom date. Um, she's And she was great. But then what? so I went up and I decided. So imagine Korean-American guy decided yeah. that um, Jesse Jackson spoke at, our high school twice while I was, while we were there. So just, we get big name speakers. So I decided I was going to give my speech in the style of Jesse <laughs> uh, So that was, that was, you can imagine, right? 14 years old, I'm doing it. And I'm, 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 I'm going for it, I'm going for it. And actually the crazy thing about it is it's sort of working, you know? So, um, <laughs> we're the Garfield Bulldogs, we're like nicknamed, we're the doghouse. So I said, yeah. if you don't vote for me, instead of being in the doghouse, we're gonna be in the poorhouse, right? <laughs> and the poorhouse starts barking, it's kind of working. And I'm taking the speech up to this crescendo, right? Uh... And so like, well we're seniors and I'm just rattling off all the list of things we're gonna do. We're gonna have our prom at the West End. And they're like, yeah! <laughs> we're gonna have a cruise around LA Bay! And, like, yeah. <laughs> and to top it all off, then, and this is, so I'm building up, and when we're done, at the end of the year, we're going to go to Wild Waves! Now, Wild Waves is a water slide park that's in yeah. Federal Way, a little bit south of Seattle, and little did I know that that would not connect with an urban uh, city, <laughs> a high school crew uh, so I so I go wild waves I'm expecting the cheer the place goes silent um and then after that they started crumpling up paper and throwing paper booing me off laughing oh. I couldn't even finish the speech and uh, when I got off the stage like I was the social leper for a week no one wanted <laughs> to talk to me my friends <laughs> were avoiding me. Before the vote was out, people were like, ah, "Maybe there's next year, man." You know, like just
1: <laughs> brutal, brutal. Uh, so I I bid it pretty big. Yeah, <laughs> oh that's an awesome story. I love that. That is so good. And I actually get the the like the Jesse Jackson style. I'm a huge uh-huh. fan of Evie Hill, and okay. I I have imitated. I have, like he has one sermon that I've listened to like a hundred times. And I have imitated him over the years because he just, his cadence, his delivery is just so good. And sometimes it would creep into my sermons and I didn't even realize it. And people be like, um, yeah, you know. <laughs> Turn it do down. You? And I'm like, "That is <laughs> yeah. me? I love him. Say, I, 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 you know, anyway. OK, yeah. here we go. If your life were a movie, okay, who would be the main character and why?
0: My life for a movie, who would be the main character and why? Uh, You know, and this will be what I'm, I'm named after James Bond. Are you serious? People. Yeah. It's like, no, you're not kidding. No, I really am. My dad (laughs) read James Bond novels when he was growing up in Korea, learning English. And so uh, he named me after James Bond. And I go, why would you name me after like someone who kills people and you know womanizes? And he goes, No, 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 no. James also is in the Bible. James is a disciple. But my brother, Ger- <laughs> Gerald was not named after anyone in scripture. you know, named after the president at the time. So, you know, so I'm actually named after James Bond. And um, and I, you know, so then father son tradition, and we're both believers, he became a pastor after me, but we still to this day. Opening day, we're going to go to a James Bond movie. When it comes out in the theaters, we'll see it together. And that's tradition. Um, that's or not necessarily opening day, but we will wait so that we can see it together. Oh, that's... So James Bond. But it also has like spiritual significance. There was a time yeah. um, I was reading Wild at Heart by yeah. Eldridge, right? Yeah, that's kind yeah. of when it was popular at the time. And there's this part in the book where he says, why don't you ask God for a new name? What's the name that he's giving you, you know, to be wild at heart? So I remember doing this exercise because my buddy did it and he, he heard servant of the poor, which actually led him to become a missionary in Cambodia. Okay. Um, and so I said, okay, sure, sure. I sat there and as I was praying about it, I heard your name is James. And I go, that's so boring. Uh, that's already my name. Um, can it be like something else like James Bond or something else like that? Um and what God says is, uh, no, James. And he reminded me in the Hebrew, it's Jacob. It's one who grasps the heel or one who overthrows. Okay. And then the invitation from the father was, uh, and oh, this is pretty vulnerable. The invitation was um, that I'll use you to overthrow the kingdoms of this world. Oh, that's cool. For my sake. And that's you can awesome. join. So I get to join in the kingdom of God and it's advanced. So. Uh, James Bond is the fun one that I would relate to, (laughs) but then there is a James
1: part that's also more connected to me. So so my name means Toll Taker at a Crossroads. (laughs) Really? (laughs) I I, I, I need a new name, man. (laughs) Toll Taker at a Crossroads. It's it's like, this is horrible, you know? And then I remember when my kids were born, someone says, are you going to give them a Bible name? I said, yep, Isaiah's son. Mahir Shalal Hashbaz. (laughs) It means swift to the booty. Speedy to the yeah. prey. <laughs> that's great. And my kids, because I was in the inner city of Chicago, they're like, what? Yeah, <laughs> so I was no. like, no, no, not that. Not that. Well, that's great. I mean, you,
0: you could be like the toll taker at the crossroads. You, you, like, <laughs> I imagine you in a robe, you've got a, a giant scythe, and you're standing there, kind of like the Grim Reaper it's like pay your toll
1: <laughs> you know confronting them with the with the major uh, decisions of their
0: lives you know uh, said, i guess
1: not, i guess yeah there's a lot more names that i think are a lot prettier but that's okay <laughs> yeah, other days that's, yeah that's okay <laughs> the, the names there man that's pretty good all yeah. right so we've got this we got but oh but you, you never said so james bond the, i'll the, go with james bond yeah yeah, yeah just but, you know trying to do the the sneaky thing who would play the part not like not would it be after so if your name were were a movie who would play your character who would play my character which actor would play my character oh
0: yeah oh wow that's a great it'd be kevin hart no i'm just kidding (laughs) 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 who would play me that's a great question (laughs) i totally heard you wrong on that and that's um, okay man um, who would it be? Maybe it's the, like, the, the <laughs> I'm just thinking of total stereotypes, right? The, the kid who uh, helped short, is it short round that, that helped Indiana Jones? <laughs> 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 is it going to be, uh, you know, there it's aren't that be many like, Asian American, you know? Yeah. I, I just, there aren't that like many right Asian Americans who are, who would be out there. So, um,
1: there's some great man, actors out maybe.
0: there though. There there are though. Yeah. There's you know, more. just that
1: marvel it could be, Super be that guy movie? from
0: yeah 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 oh, the marvel superhero series i
1: don't i don't remember his name either because yeah, yeah
0: maybe yeah, the guy guys. who's in crazy crazy rich asians that guy can you know he can okay. definitely up up my image <laughs>
1: uh, okay okay <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that,
0: that's a good-looking brother <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay so let's let's okay. hear your story because you talk about that in your book longing for now? revival i read the book I want to hear your story for a bit. I mean, you're Korean-American, but your story really starts going back actually a couple generations, and it's really unique in how it goes to revival. So share that with us.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a, there, uh, there's a story. There's um, a young shaman, and she uh, is the spiritual leader of a village about, I think about 50 miles north of Pyongyang in a small village called Youngmi. And she uh, was the leader of the tree shrine, And that's where the the people in the village worshiped. And, but she lost her first two children when they were um, young. And so she got so mad at the tree shrine. She cut it down and defecated on it. I mean, just, Mm. I just imagine like angry Korean woman, just (laughs) you let me down. And that's a dangerous thing to let let, let a Korean woman down. down. So she she was so angry uh, that that happened. And, I sort of imagine her then she's like s- sort of sitting near the tree and just mad, just doing mm-hmm. in that. And kind of at the time, a missionary um, meets her. Um, this is a missionary who like has just experienced the Pyongyang revivals and is sent North from the revivals as a missionary. And she, this missionary meets this young shaman and tells her that there's a, that God has come to, to earth as Jesus. And that you can believe in him, that he is the forgiver of sins and can be the savior and leader of your life. And she goes, Um, Yeah, she becomes a follower of Jesus at that Hmm. point. Um, And then what she does is then, because she becomes a Christian, basically the whole village, almost the whole village becomes Christian. And she plants the first church in this community. Um, That shaman is my great-great-grandmother. And um, then my great-grandfather sort of was a, a, a leader in that church. My grandparents met at that church. My dad was infant baptized in this church since he was born in the North part of Korea. It wasn't North Korea at the time, but mm-hmm. uh, geographically now is North Korea. And um, and from that point, right? So that's my heritage. I'm a fifth generation, um, fifth gener- spiritual generation mm. uh, descendant of the Pyongyang revivals. Mm. And they didn't know this until like, as I was writing the book. Uh, oh really? It sort of came to me. I didn't know the story at all. Wasn't planning. I just thought the way we found out about it was crazy actually. So I've already written most of the book with Ryan and I'm looking for an epilogue. And I'm thinking my family story is connected to Pyongyang. Almost every Protestant Korean story is connected to Pyongyang in some way. So I'm just assuming my family has a story. I hadn't yet figured out what that story was. So then I was talking to my dad and I I said, "You know, so dad, how are we connected to Pyongyang revivals? And he goes, we're not, (laughs) you know, and I went, what I I looked at him funny he said it so like certainly we're not connected to it at all I'm like you don't know what you're talking about so (laughs) this is me talking to my dad so I go dad can you like call our family and find out if we have a connection because I don't believe you I mean we're protestants so there's got to be some connection to this thing so then he gets on the phone and starts calling his family and that's where he finds out this story for the first time he's what in his uh he's in his 70s. Yeah, he's in his 70s when he's heard the first story for the first time. So he couldn't wait to tell me. And, uh, you know, and it was amazing. So both of us heard the story around the same time and this history. And my family was surprised that my dad didn't know because he's the firstborn son. I'm the firstborn son of the firstborn son of the firstborn son, right? So it's sort of, we are the leaders of our family's generation, right? That generation in our family. So he didn't know about it. But now, uh, um, yeah, so it was encouraging to him. And so then to hear like the stories of plants, church plants in our family. My dad then, my grandfather then, as he had to run from the communists, and he just he escapes from what is now known as North Korea in this really mm-hmm. Hollywood-like story, mm-hmm. um, using his wits, getting his family across the river. You know, there's so much to tell about that. Then ends up in Pusan, the southern coast of Korea, and there plants a church, which still exists today, uh, and then goes up. To Saul, a few years later with his friends, they planted another church there. That still exists today, right? And then my dad, sort of, as he immigrates to America, Arkansas, Chicago, then does up Seattle, helps a fledgling church plant there, gives birth to me, and then I get to be a part of a couple church plants. You know, So it's this crazy way that the Lord has um, sort of given us a her- an inheritance. It's, yeah. There's a, a, a legacy that's been passed down, and we had no idea. But once we heard the stories, we're like, oh, that kind of makes sense, right? <laughs> wow. That's such a deep Christian heritage in our family.
1: that but That's so impressive. And, and you hear about that, how God is faithful to those who fear him, to like a thousand mm-hmm. generations. And 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 that's so encouraging to be able to have that. And I would also think what I know, know about a Korean heritage or a Korean just uh, my, with the ancestors and how ancestors mm-hmm. are valued, especially within other cultures, but to see that spiritual Christian ancestor heritage, would even be more amplified, I would think, and more honorable, uh, which is really, really amazing. And so your family's been involved in revival um, for Mm -hmm. some time. And you write this book, Longing for Revival, with the subtitle, and I love this, From Holy Discontent to Breakthrough Faith, because I think everyone gets the, the discontent. But what was the impetus? to write this book it wasn't about your grandmother defecating on a tree that she cut down which <laughs> no, i'd like to know how that story bet. got passed down and that was a story that <laughs> by the way kids let me tell you about grandma <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> well apparently they did, My dad just did. The story. They did. So, you know um but yeah it's a uh, it's funny and it's really ironic because um and i think i mentioned in the book it's my first ever talk outside of my ministry when I was invited to speak somewhere else was actually against revival like I
1: yeah, I, I made it book. a point
0: to just preach against it because you know I grew up hearing about revival all the, all time. the time all the time same here it Totally makes sense. I didn't know why, but in Korean churches they talk about it a lot. everything that isn't on Sunday is like a revival meeting or a revival gathering or you know, it's, it's tacked onto everything you do. A retreat is called the revival. And I, I didn't know, to me, it just felt like uh, they were just trying to drum up my emotions or trying to, it felt manipulative to me, the way they yeah. kept using this word to try to stir me up into some stronger devotion for faith. So I grew up really with a negative attachment to that word. Cause it was just around me all the time. So then that's why I went and gave this first talk of like, don't seek revival, just be faithful, right? The King's already here, which you can imagine, like in some ways there's a truth to that, but I really went out of my way to try to dress down revival. Um, so uh, it's sort of fast forward a, a long time and this is Ryan Pfeiffer and I, we, we're in San Diego, we're seeing revival playing out on campus and it's just God moving and people coming, becoming Christian. Uh, by the droves. It was a wild time and a wild season. And so he's the one that really was talking it back into my ear. And I just remember every time he brought it up, I'm like, ah, come on, man. Why, why do we need to talk about revival? Let's just have people be faithful, you know? Um, but as we kept talking, as we went along, there were just some dynamics about what it meant to seek revival, why the word might be important. All of a sudden, it just started to take on more and more weight as we went along. And Maybe then, as we were thinking about it, could we write a book that would be like revival for the rest of us, you know? Because revival literature can go on to some extreme. It could be like really academic on one end. Mm -hmm. And so you're just going through the history of it and see how that kind of plays itself out. Um, Or it goes the way the other end, you know, like um, with eagles and fire on the cover. And, you know, just for a lot of mainstream, I guess, Christians, wherever you want, that just feels like this really edgy, Kind of thing, and we're wondering maybe revival actually is a term we can re um, redeem mm-hmm. and find a way to say maybe there's something about revival for the rest of us. What would this look like? And mm-hmm. just try to unpack it in everyday language in a way that would make it something that would seem like something we should do and something that we could seek and sort of lean into the psalm psalmist prayer in Psalm eighty five of Would you revive us, O Lord, so that our people mm-hmm. may rejoice in you? Um, that's uh that was really the impetus to do that and then there were some dynamics that we were identifying that thought maybe this would be helpful
1: to getting more people around the table to long for revival together well then then you go on to to not only just long for revival but you then define it which i really appreciated Mm -hmm. and you say it's a season of breakthroughs in word deed and power that ushers ushers in a new normal of kingdom experience and fruitfulness now Hearing that, I, I, you have those three different categories, word, deed, and power. Why is it so important for us to understand it as breakthroughs in word, deed, and power? And why should we see it as a new normal? Now, I know I don't want to take away from the book because you guys unpack that over several chapters, but mm-hmm. just briefly, why, I mean, really even why that definition in word, deed, and power and ushering in a new normal, why is that so important for us to understand? Yeah, because it, it brings in a balance.
0: Um uh, The the word, deed, and power, and so the biblical basis for that would be around Romans 15, where when Paul talked about fully proclaiming the gospel, Mm -hmm. there's a part where that full proclamation meant some geography that he was walking around in the text, but also it gives a qualitative picture of that. And you'll see Paul, as he talks about his own ministry, he says he does it in word, deed, and power. And you'll see Mm. that language showing up there. And we have also found that Um, It it sort of came out of our way of trying to invite people into a wider view of witness when we were in San Diego together, just uh, to say like witness isn't just word. It's word, deed, and power, and holding that together created more space for people to be involved in witness rather than it Mm. having to look a particular way. So why that's important with revival, um, particularly with word, deed, and power folks is that if you're, most of us identify more deeply with one of the circles, right. maybe two, but we tend to identify more with one. And left to our own devices, we will judge the other circles. Hmm. So if you're a word-centered person, you look at a deed person who might be involved in justice or compassion, right? You look at them and you're like, well, they just seem angry. Why aren't they like staying in the scriptures? Or you know, you're looking at the power people and they're just looking like they're shaking and baking, they're rolling around the aisles. What, but how are they grounded in the word? You know, let's stay grounded in the word. Whereas if you're a, like a deed person and you're looking at a word person and you're like, hey, you just look like you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Why not get in the dirt and really love people? Or they'll look at the power people. It's like, that's great that you're doing that in your closet, but hey, there's a <laughs> lot of needs to meet today. And on the power side, right? Like you look at the word person and you're going like, they have a form of godliness that seems to deny his power right or power people look at the deed folks and go you know there's the joy of the lord experience him you know don't Mm -hmm. worry about all the stuff that's happening in the world today and there's a way that because of our either temperament or spiritual gifting that there's a way that we'll look down on the other circles Mm -hmm. and we just found that that's we uh, we need a unifying concept to say actually no matter where you are on this grid of the three circles your invitation is always to come to the center where they overlap mm. and to do that in love. And then when we looked at histories of revival, that often revivals will enter in one circle, mm. but as they tend to mature um, often, much of the time, you'll find them sort of incorporating the other pieces as they go along, right? Um, where there's the the Wesleyans with the Methodists, right? There's a word component to this strong thing. But then, so the deed part, they really focused on the miners. They, you know, like actual coal miners, right? The actual <laughs> yeah. blue collar, not, right, not right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> And Wesley himself had a little more disdain for the elite, really wanted to kind of lift up. Those who were more marginalized. Mm-hmm. Um, but also then things were happening in, in parts of his community where in prayer, they were experiencing God. There were things that were happening in the experience in the power circle. And you can see that those, you might start with one, like the Methodist starting with word, or maybe like the Franciscans starting more with the deed and loving the poor, but seeing how that plays out in the communal Bible study and how that also played out into these powerful ecstatic experiences that there was something about you could start one way, but as it matured, it sort of had a way of bringing people in. Mm. And of course, there's the bad, and sort of that's what we're trying to guard is there are revivals that run into just halt or skid out because they don't know how to welcome the other circles. Mm. And they sort of, burn out or spin out or don't come to where it could have gone. And so we are trying to find a way to to welcome and say like it doesn't have to look a particular way, but the invitation is always to come to the middle where word, deed, and power are overlapping
1: mm-hmm. in love. And trying to put together a little bit of your bio because you mentioned your dad mm-hmm. being baptized as an infant. So I'm assuming that he comes from because I know Presbyterians are huge within That's Korea. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. The, yet
1: you mentioned your home church, which is the Gardena Baptist Church. Right. Baptist. Yep. yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, And then you mentioned in your bio, though, you said you're ordained in the vineyard movement. So I'm like, that's okay, right. that's, that's really three different groups of people. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> that's right. So I'm looking at that. I'm like, how does that play? Because I think he's fighting with himself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah that's fair and i'm more from a word background but i recognize that there's a part that's missing i had a friend of mine uh, charlie davis used to be the head of team he wrote a book called um slider switches actually yeah. i don't know if he calls it that it might be multi-ethnic multicultural discipleship but in it he uses the the metaphor of slider switches and he says within a culture some cultures are high on the experience alone the knowledge and he said, you got to mm. turn that up. And every culture has to have their their own setting, you know, like singers oh, on a stage. Yep. And I, I love that. I love that. Cause, cause I think that the gospel challenge, it confirms something in every culture and then it challenges something in every culture. And it's learning from other people in those cultures so that my view of God can expand. So I know I'm much more word centered, but I know that the spirit does things that I don't always am comfortable with. I mean, even just looking at the scriptures, he chooses a teenage girl to bring forth the Messiah. You know, <laughs> God right. has a way of operating some outside of my comfort zone. The hard top, the hard part is, is when do I say that is out of bounds? Um, I mean, we have the biblical parameters, but sometimes there's the gray areas. And even some of the stuff that you guys wrote in here, I was like, oh, no, I don't know where I'm at with that. You know, mm-hmm. like prophetic mm-hmm. stuff. And, and I'm again, not I'm not against it. I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. But my Baptistic conservative root starts freaking out a little bit and yeah, I get a little right. bit nervous but that yeah. seems like it's also kind of what you guys want to do is to say, okay, let's rethink this a little bit. Let's, let's broaden our parameters a little bit. Is that what you guys are trying to do a bit to say, let's rethink how we can have revival. And it's not always going to fall within our parameters. Matter of fact, we've been doing it in our parameters for a while and we haven't had revival. That's right. Is that what you no, guys no, are absolutely. trying to do? Absolutely. You, we definitely want to, uh, there's a humility. And we write
0: about the humility you that's do, needed, yeah. right? Like, uh, to be able to, to, to chew on the meat, but spit out the bones. bones. So you mentioned that, you mentioned that. And, mentioned that. and the, there's gotta be something where we're learning and, and the old place where God gets to surprise mm-hmm. us, right? If it's everything going along to our strategy, then we don't get to experience what that verb in the book of Acts, where it's just constantly the sense of being amazed. They were amazed, they were mm-hmm. amazed and they got to see God moving. Um, so we do wanna create space for the others to be at the table. Um, and so here's the here's the other side of it though. If, if you don't create the space, so let's say, you, and this is my background too, but I'm much more of a word centered background. Um, my sort of connection with the vineyard comes late, like uh, basically end of college, post-college. Um, if you do not create spaces for that kind of either experience or power, right? Where it can be um, kind of either protected or guided by the word, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't do it, people are gonna seek it somewhere else.
1: Mm.
0: and then how well off are they if they seek it somewhere else (laughs) you know like that's actually worse because it's not being grounded in the scripture or if people seek justice and compassion if you don't do it in your communities obviously look at our culture people are going to seek to do it somewhere else yeah
1: yeah
0: um i think it's going to be more fruitful and much more aligned with the kingdom more long-lasting if it's done in the kingdom um so how would you create space for the word to influence that so there's a danger like one way to say it's like well it makes me nervous so i'm not gonna deal with it but what you're doing is by cutting off that space in your community or the places you lead it's actually going to squirt out elsewhere Mm. and then you've got another problem right Mm. Um, maybe and that comes from just you know experiencing campus ministry and church ministry like you know what that's like those who lead Like you don't create spaces for the prayer ministry or that kind of healing ministry. If you don't, then they start going to other ministries to learn about it. Mm -hmm. Or they'll create issues in your own community. They'll start creating division saying, you don't care about this stuff. And uh, there's a way that these three circles, Word, Dean, and Power work together and can guide each other. to a more, I think a more holistic uh, uh, view of the mission.
1: We're going to take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsor. The most important Bible translation is the one you read. At Apollos Watered, we use several different translations when we're studying, preaching, or teaching. But again and again, we keep coming back to the New Living Translation, the NLT. That's why we are excited to partner with them. We are united in the belief that understanding the Bible changes everything. Because if you can't understand it, then you won't read it. We want you to know the God of the Bible, to water your faith so that you will water your world. That's why we recommend getting an NLT. It's the Bible in the language we speak. It's not foreign or complicated, but up close and personal. To save some money, go to Tyndale.com. Use the promo code NLTBibles. It will give you 15% off. There's an NLT for everyone. From kids to adults, devotional Bibles, study Bibles, and so much more. Get one today because understanding the Bible changes everything, and the NLT is the Bible you can understand. And we're back. James and I continue our discussion, except now we transition more to the modern Western Evangelical Church and some of the observations that we've had over the past several years at the current state of the church. It's not Always pleasant, but it's one that's necessary because we realize that so many things that are going on there are a lot of political stuff, social unrest. But how many people are really praying and longing for God to work? That's what we continue to talk about. Meaning that they're just kind of coasting along, they're in their spiritual kind of complacency, they got all their comforts, and there's not a longing. I mean, there is like a, an internal longing for more, but they go to the churches, and the churches are just trying to, in many ways, just trying to stay afloat. And I mean, they're 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 trying to manage all of the different things going on culturally. And I just don't see the focus on prayer meetings. I don't see the pro, pro focus on encountering God. I see, and I, I hate to say this in some circles, not all, but more of a manufactured joy. And there's this, mm. we're gonna just kind of drum it up rather than just a byproduct. Of true revival, and and I remember reading an article some time ago where they said we've traded prayer for posting online, and Ooh. we've it, yeah, and we've traded yeah. spiritual practices for sometimes for protest. Now sometimes there's necessary for protest. I'm not I'm not saying there's not, oh. but oftentimes we go to the the external rather than go into your Father who and pray to your Father who is in secret, and He will reward you. And in our very kind of narcissistic branding culture. I mean, it just is what it is. Mm. I feel like we've got a lot of activity, but I remember hearing a pastor from Northern Ireland say years ago, we're like a bird in a, in a cage, a lot of activity, but no progress. Mm. And yet it seems like if we're ever going to advance, we have to recover that heart for God. And I mean, cause we can't do it ourselves. Yeah. And you guys talk about that. You actually mentioned consecration, something that I don't hear very often in in the circles that I've been in, why the focus on consecration and, and putting oneself at the availability of God to touch and move? Well, I mean, why consecration again? What brought that up?
0: Yeah, it, well, it's the entry and the consecration marks the four C's that we talked about in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, consecration, calling contending in character. Mm-hmm. and character and it really
1: is the, very sort of pastoral that right place. there boring pastoral i'm gonna steal <laughs> very, that that's right and give my, you no credit
0: father that's right <laughs>
1: you, you got it, all the alliteration right there and then you got it. you gotta do it like you know jesse jackson then you gotta, oh, we, right, got, we got right. consecration you gotta do that and then we got color and you get to keep going so that's right that's right i <laughs> mean keep going so
0: consecration so yeah and so it's, it is the entry place it's the uh, it's the place where you it's an admitting that what you're experiencing right now is not what you're meant for. It's an admission that there's a gap between what uh, life in the kingdom could be and where you're at. And there will always be this gap on this side of heaven. But it is a place where we say, for this season, I wanna be set apart. And just sort of, like, like any consecration, when you're consecration, consecrating the items for the temple or you're consecrating people, you're basically just saying, I'm setting this apart for this season and say, God, all right. It's creating a space or a room for God to speak more clearly and more powerfully. And it's it's that, right? That's stuff sort of the litmus. Like, I'm when we talk about even power, one way the entry place for us in university is is it's about listening. <laughs> That's all we're asking people to do is do you listen to God? Like one litmus test I often have is like, well. Um, when people are saying like, well, my spiritual life, it's not very strong or I'm not feeling very vibrant. I said, well, when was the last time God spoke to you that you understood? And that doesn't necessarily mean like an audible voice, just a sense that God gave you some direct connection. Mm -hmm. Um, And those who are vibrant, they've got something in the last two months they could talk about, about how God said this or spoke to this or spoke through that sermon or through this song. There's something about God speaking through that. And then for those where it's just dried up, they, you know, it's been like years they mm-hmm. heard something like, which is kind of nuts, right? Like if you think about how we, at least in evangelical circles, we talk about a relationship with God. And yet in practice, we make it more about a philosophy of life, these principles and these rules mm. that we follow. But the relationship, if it's a relationship, and this is Dallas Willard speaking, right? If it's a relationship, shouldn't there be two-way communication? Because mm. we would never settle for a relationship that's just one way. Mm. And we, so, what would it look like for us to have those spaces where we're not just reading the word, but the word reads us, right? It's a place oh, where yeah. we're listening to sermons, but it's not that we're just hearing it and comprehending it. We are sensing what God is saying through that for us now, um, and that's important. It, and that's it,
1: yeah. It, but how do you differentiate? You know, I I read a book by Mark Job, who's mm-hmm. the president of Moody Bible Institute. He wrote a book just recently um, on kind of just discerning the will of God for your life. It's a short little book, um, mm-hmm. very similar to another book that just came out by Michael Lindsay, who's going to be the new president of Taylor University called Hinge Moments. Great book. But Job talks about hearing God's voice. And he tells about being a young pastor and got called out to Hollywood to when uh, Prince of Egypt was being getting ready to be released. And they got to actually go and get a hearing before, watch it before everybody else did because it was a bunch of religious leaders. And they Mm -hmm. said, they heard from the director and the director said the most strangest scene or the most, the scene they had the most difficulty with was Moses at the burning bush. And they said, because they couldn't figure out what to do with his voice. And I remember hearing that because when I heard, I mean, not from them, but I remember watching the movie and it, it, Val Kilmer plays Moses and you hear Val Kilmer's voice come out of the burning bush. And Mm -hmm. that actually bothered me. Um, but Job said, well, that's really how it is. God speaks through that. And oftentimes it's the voice that God speaks to. So how do you differentiate being my, my Baptistic roots here? How do you differentiate between it's just your flesh talking to your voice or just that's God? How do you know that that went and that's God?
0: That's a great question. Uh, and that can be a teaching on its own, but if I'm trying to locate it, um, that it, it really is familiarity. There's mm. Like right now, like if, if I were to ask the listeners to close their eyes and then ask, oh, who's speaking to you right now? Well, <laughs> and it was, oh, well, it's you, James. Well, because I've been introduced. We've been hanging out for what, the last half hour, but th- we already have enough familiarity where you can recognize my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does seem then Jesus seems to be making that kind of promise in John 10, right? This idea where the sheep will know the voice of the shepherd. Yeah. And it's an old ancient Near Eastern image of like, a. there's a common sheep pen in most of these villages. So there'd be multiple flocks and a shepherd would come up to the gate, right? And I don't know what a sheep call sounds like. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it sounds like. But a shepherd would come up, right? And the sheep would self-sort. They would recognize the voice of their own shepherd and follow him out. And Jesus seems to be using this image of the, of the variety of voices you could hear. You'll be able to recognize mine. Michael, what? You know, and that, it should be both like, well, that's crazy, but also the hope of what sustains us in the Christian life. And uh, so much so that I would say like, well, isn't that the work of any disciple, any follower of Jesus is to be able to what recognize what God is saying in the everyday and to obey what we hear. That's Isn't that really the primary work of what we do? But, okay. So that being said, how do you then recognize that um, and familiarity? Cause familiarity doesn't sound like a great answer. You're like, well, give me some more I do like have five questions that I'll generally ask that help us get there. Um, but I, I do think discernment's easier now than it used to be. Um, back in the Old Testament, and I got this from my friend, Jordan Seng, um, who wrote Miracle Work, a okay. great entry book if you're interested in sort of what it means to exercise spiritual gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a book for everyone kind of thing. But he talks about uh, um, in the Old Testament, like. God spoke to one person in a generation, right? So it, if that person said something that didn't come to pass, you were supposed to stone them right? yeah. because you needed to exercise like tight editorial control. right? Yeah, like that's, big time, big right? time. Big time. But Joel 2, Acts 2, where is the spirit located now? Um, nice. It's in the community of believers, yeah. Yeah. right? And already poured out on us, which is Awesome. And and so much so that in First Corinthians 14, we have a sense that if someone speaks on behalf of the Lord, two or three should weigh what is said. Yes. There's a sense where community, um, I would think the main pillars being, what does the scripture say? And does this align with that? And what does the community say? And does it align with that? That discernment seems to be located now, not in one prophet in every generation, but in the community of believers. And that together we can understand through scripture, and through being together, um, uh, that we can start to discern what God might be saying. And I just I wish I had that advice in my twenties. <laughs> you know, I really did, because my friends would, would say stuff about like, hey, you know, you shouldn't. That relationship that you're in doesn't seem that good. You know, like they would sort of mention <laughs> some things, and I would go, ah, never, nah, 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 you know, never, nah, never, nah, because nah, I heard from God, um, <laughs> but I wasn't taking into account what my community was saying. Um, where I think it seems that discernment seems to be located there in some way. I also ask other questions, like, um, if, if, if you heard something, you know, one test would be, does it produce faith or fear? Mm. And what would you do if fear was not involved? Because uh, perfect love casts out fear, we know from 1 John. Um, and so that's one question I love asking, what would you do if, there wasn't, if fear wasn't involved? Would you mm. follow with what was being said? What would, what would happen there? Another is the fruit does this produce more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control or not? Um, So scripture, um, community, fruit, faith, right? Those would be kind of the main kinds of things. And then that's not going to cover everything that might cover like 90% of it, but that's Mm -hmm. where um, it's, it's less about certainty. It's the old Flannery uh, O'Connor quote. It's less of, don't expect faith to clear things up for you. It's not certainty. It is trust. Mm. And so it is that. you trust. And when you hear, really one best good way to go about it is to respond to it. Sort of discern it in community, figure out, but do something about it. And once you do something about it, then see what happens. And debrief and interpret that with the community. And it's in this, um, what we call our discipleship cycle in university: From hear, respond, debrief. Mm-hmm. that in that cycle, we keep learning how to hear God's voice together through the scripture and in community and to keep growing in it. So that's the short, uh, <laughs> as short as I can make that answer. <laughs> you can hear there's a lot of nuance in there. Cause yeah, there's a lot of uh, abuse that could happen in this area. Of course. Um, but th- we don't want to throw out the idea that God speaks to us just because other people have jacked that up, right? It's right. it's it, it, is, it was We were wired for this. We were meant for this. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think sometimes our fear of getting it wrong keeps us Mm -hmm. from even trying Mm -hmm. uh, in this area.
1: The fear of getting it wrong. I've thought about his words. James and I had this conversation a few months ago, but fear of getting it wrong. For myself, I have to confess, that's where I've been at. I'm afraid I'm going to get it wrong. And I know that that's limited me. I know that I am one of those people that he has mentioned that sometimes live in such a way that I live by a philosophy rather than a living, breathing relationship. And that's why I want to be like one of those people that goes in their prayer closet and draws that chalk circle around themselves and asks God to start a revival in me. I love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'm amazed at what he has done for me. And I know what he wants to do with so many other people around the world. But there are times in those moments where we start to go through the motions And that's part of the ebb and flow of the Christian relationship. It's not always going to be mountaintops. There are going to be valleys and struggles and sicknesses and sufferings and misunderstandings and confusion, but I still long for true biblical revival. I also have to confess that many of the things that James talks about makes me a bit uncomfortable. My theological tradition is not one that always allows such things. In fact, It's been pretty against it in most instances because of the abuses that have occurred. It has made me stop and go, am I wrong? What does the Bible say? What does that mean for me? What is God asking of me to ask of him to long for And I want to continue this discussion and invite you to come back next week as we do continue our discussion to discover what it is that God has for us and how can we truly long for revival. I do appreciate his perspective and it is challenging to me and I hope and trust that it's challenging to you too. And I hope and pray that God uses discussions like these to reinvigorate or truly water your faith wherever you are. And if this episode has been helpful to you in any way, shape or form, would you do us a favor? Go online to apolloswater.org or connect with us on our our social media pages and interact with us. Let us know about what God has done and what he is doing so that we might be able to connect with you. Feel free to email me, travis at apolloswater.org. I'd love to hear from you and know how we can help you. So that you can water your faith and then go water your world. I also want to let you know that we have our first ever giving campaign coming up. So please pay attention to that. For most of this, God has blessed and enabled this ministry to occur with a, a few different partners that have come alongside us to give and to pray. But as we're really trying to launch into the stratosphere to see what God has for us, we're going to need more. But before we even invite those who have not yet given, I want to thank those who have been partnering with us in order enabling us to kind of rumble down the runway, if you will. And I can feel that engine going and the speed is increasing, but we need them to launch. And that's why we need you. We are looking for 80 new partners before the end of the year. Go online at apolloswater.org and in the upper right-hand corner is a support us button. Hit that. And it doesn't matter the amount, really. We're just looking for people that want to partner with us, who believe in what we're doing and who have been blessed by the content. And for those that already are giving, thank you, thank you, thank you. You are making a difference in the lives of people around the world as people are changing their perspectives and they are taking greater steps of faith to water their world, to engage in conversations with people that they otherwise wouldn't have. And we want to thank And praise God for that Because that is truly a work of God And I also recognize that I could never do any of this by myself God has blessed me with a wonderful team of people around me That are incredibly gifted And I just want to give a shout out to them Kevin O'Brien, Eliana Fleming, Rebecca Bedal, Melissa and Donovan Martin who makes all of us sound in some magic way good and that's not an easy thing to do but i want to thank all of them for all of their time and all that they do they are amazing people to work with water your faith water your world this is travis michael fleming signing off from apollos watered stay watered everybody